welcome everyone to I So Appreciate You, a raw, funny, and uniquely insightful podcast about the issues and opportunities we all face as values-based leaders and humans. I'm Nadej. And I'm Melanie. We're colleagues at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation, and we're friends. When we get together, our conversations can go anywhere, especially when bringing a friend or two along for the ride. So we're inviting you to join us and some incredible guests as we explore the challenges and triumphs of people shaking up our community for the better. Welcome, everyone. Um, I am super excited about today's episode, Mel. Me too. I mean, I think it's been a few episodes since we've had not one, but two guests. I know. I'm a little nervous. Uh, we, I think Are we, we going to do okay? okay? I think we can do it. I okay. think we can do it. But we've got these two fantastic, strong nonprofit leaders um, in the Twin Cities, Ruby Oluwich and Carmen Jimenez. And I'm just so excited because we're going to dig into like succession and thinking about leadership successions and transitions and kind of the, yes, stuff the stuff related to that. Yes. So we have kind of about work today. We're talking about work. We are. We're like, yeah. but we're talking about like, I mean, if in a hierarchical way, we're talking about like the top level, like yep. the whatever, but mm-hmm. like there's so much other stuff to talk about work. There is. Yeah. Oh. And like less serious. Okay. Do you got Do you have a, a fun work story? Well, no, I don't know if it's fun. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like, or, no, how about this? Any, let's talk about like bad, good, something when I say, what's, tell me one of your work stories that sticks with you. What comes to mind? <laughs> um, I probably should not share the story because it's fully ridiculous. Okay. Um, but is related to my employment at the foundation. Oh, this is good. So um, a million years ago, um, or eight, give or take to be exact, <laughs> when I was applying to be the Associate Vice President of Community Impact, um, it was at a time where uh, I was still practicing law. I was on a case of super busy. It was working like 15 to 18 hour days, mm-hmm. like basically just like running on fumes at all times. Uh, and so I knew I had an interview and I got here and I you know, drove to St. Paul. I got confused and parked in the wrong parking lot. Oh, um, that's and the I, worst, trying to get to an interview. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I, you know, got myself to the offices and I, you know, introduced myself to the receptionist <laughs> and I sat down and it seemed a little odd. I mean, I was early, so right away I didn't mm-hmm. have any concerns. And then all of a sudden there was this moment, you know, like when you know you've forgotten something or like a yeah. moment of dread or yeah. something and I had this overwhelming sense that I was not supposed to be there. Oh! So I grabbed my phone and started frantically searching through my emails. And it turns out I was like three days early no. to my interviews. <laughs> it actually was not on that day. And like, I'm so thankful that I cannot blush because I would have been 17 shades of purple. Wow. And I immediately stood up and <laughs> said to the receptionist, you know what? Um, I am fine. I just... <laughs> Just, I have my time wrong. And I think she said, oh, do you want me to tell so-and-so you were here? I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> absolutely. I wasn't not. here and I'll deny it if you do tell her. And yes. I could not run out of there oh, fast God. enough, hoping that like no one would see me and figure it out. And I don't even know, this might be the first time I'm telling I've never anyone heard this story. I've never, it. no. And well, I, it's good that you came early. Correct. But I, also kind of ridiculous that that's good that's really good okay you've got to top that i don't know i don't have anything (laughs) to top it but something that like made my heart beat fast um i was a new person at teach for america and they're 
they were a fairly large organization relative to us, like over 2,000 people. So we had this big conference. It was my first week, and we had these small group breakouts. And I was in this big room with hundreds of people, and our groups were talking. And I'll never forget, it was one of those like talk and report out. Uh, And so I'm listening to all these people talk about acronyms I've never heard of and things that concepts I have nothing about. And they were very academic, all very smart. And so the person's walking around with the microphone comes to our table. I haven't said a thing because I'm a new person. And this guy looks at me and he said, why don't you report out for us? (laughs) I was like, oh, and what do you do as a new person? Like full of a room of performers. So I'm like, okay. I grabbed the microphone. I did my best, like, you know, channeling (laughs) PR, like what I'm going to blah, 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 you know, speaking in circles. Throwing out words I've never heard before. It was awful. And I melted in my seat. Like it was just, and even telling the story, it's like, it doesn't sound that bad, but it was bad. First oh, that week, sounds horrifying. Hundreds of people. I have to report on behalf of my table on things I didn't know. And that guy, I'm telling you, he was a, he was an issue anyway. So I know he was <laughs> not being nice. He was, he was a bully. I feel on like. Me. I feel like now you are probably the person in a group that like makes sure that the reporter feels supported and has what they need. And you're like, okay, do do you need anything else? You You know what? Okay. I have a closing to this. And I just remembered. So then I get, I was there for eight years. It gets to the end of my tenure. And I was then at a leadership conference and it was kind of the same thing. And he and I kind of got paired. They're walking around with that microphone and he did the same thing to me. But this time I said, nope, I'll pass. <laughs> I love yes. it. I love it. Stepping oh, into your leadership and yes. owning your own space. Yes. I, I guess I did. Wow. Right. Who knew we were going to go down this little right. which is, rabbit hole? Which, here's the thing. That's what the two fantastic leaders were about oh, to talk yes. to. See, how, see what I did there? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you see, did. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it works. So, you know, I'm super looking forward to like, let's jump in with Ruby and Carmen. Can't wait. Are you looking to make a larger impact on causes you care about? Not everyone realizes that cash isn't the only way to give. There are many advantages to donating other assets, such as real estate, stock, or farm equipment. Want to learn more? Call 651-224-5463 or email the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation gift planning team at philanthropy at spmcf.org. Welcome back, everyone. We are super excited to have not one, but two guests in studio with us today. We have Ruby Oluwich and Carmen Jimenez. So both of you happen to be storytellers, and that is very exciting to me as a writer and a marketer, and you're also very accomplished in your own right. And before we dig in, we just want to give our listeners a little bit of your backgrounds, though I could spend probably an hour because you're both (laughs) so accomplished. All right, Carmen, you're an award-winning author of six collections of poetry and a memoir, which received an American Book Award. Among your accolades, you were also awarded the Academy of American Poets Fellowship Prize in 2020 and have also been a Guggenheim Fellow. It's a lot. Uh, You're currently the executive director of Gray Wolf Press, which is a wonderful independent press based in Minnesota. I'm a huge fan. Ruby, moving on to another accomplished writer. We wanted to start with a wonderful quote that caught our eye on LinkedIn. Um, 
and it is, I believe telling stories is an act of love and resistance. I uplift the values of imagination, creativity, and personal freedom to tell stories that build individual, collective, and systemic power. Amazing. Uh, And really, your writing, which is beautiful, has been featured widely, including in Allure magazine. You had worked for many years at Pollen and most recently were the organization's executive director. So welcome to you both. Glad you're here. All right. Well, um, if you uh, have been fans of our podcast, you know that we start every interview super casually with three quick questions. So I'm going to start. First question is, and it's, uh, I think, weather appropriate. Do you prefer sub-zero weather or over 100 degrees? A sub-zero. Oh, okay. Like I I have (laughs) (laughs) follow-ups. Ruby? Yeah, I'm over 100 all the way. Okay. All right. So we got a little opposite energy. Okay. Nadej, what would you say? Neither. Those are terrible. Okay. All right. (laughs) Fall. Whatever fall is is what I want in the middle. Um, All right. Uh, A group hang or like a one-on-one situation? One-on-one. Okay. I prefer one-on-one as well. All right. All right. Excellent. Um, And the last question, animals or people? Animals. (laughs) Dogs more specifically. I was going to ask if there's a particular animal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with people. I'm going to go with babies. Those are my favorite. The little people. Those are the best people. Right? Like they're they're the realest people. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Their joy is pure. Their laughter is awesome. And their crying can be a terror. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for sort of warming up as we jump right into this topic. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but I feel like every other day I'm reading a headline um, about the retirement of some long term, you know, leader of an organization or founders transitioning out. And, you know, on one hand, like I'm super excited about that because like, yay, opportunities for like great and smart and talented people. And then on the other hand, I'm always wondering, like, are these orgs actually ready for a transition that is sort of that significant? Um, And. I feel like there's talk of this, you know, that I've, I've been seeing sort of headlines like succession planning. What does your board need to know? And, you know, how do you make that leadership transition? And all of it feels a little bit academic sometimes. And so I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation where we sort of talk about the people aspect of this. But before we get to that, I feel like we should level set and we should talk about like what does succession mean like when you hear that phrase like what does that encompass for you I'm going to turn to you first Ruby yes yeah I'm super excited to have this discussion for a lot of the same reasons that you shared Nadej I think there is a much needed there's much needed exposure or space for a more personal Um, storytelling and reflection on this process, especially as it pertains to how prepared are organizations um, in addition to how are individual leaders being prepared, empowered, and protected when taking on these types of roles. So I'm really excited to dig in, but when I think about what succession means to me, I think it's two-sided on one end of it, secession is about honoring and celebrating the contributions of an outgoing leader, the legacy and the foundations that have been built uh, from a previous leader's 
tenure. The other side of it is also celebrating, honoring, and respecting the vision and the potential of an incoming leader. So holding those two sides of the coin at once are what comes to mind when I think about secession. And another thing that I feel is really important to recognize in the process of secession is just the liminality that in between and transitory space. You know, there's not really a hard line when it comes to transition. You know, a transition isn't complete or doesn't necessarily begin on the start date or the higher date um, of an incoming leader or the, you know, termination departure date of an outgoing leader. So there has to be, I think, uh, continued tending to that transitory in-between space that's going to exist for who knows how long. Yeah, I I agree that it's that liminal space uh, and it extends into the end of a tenure and the beginning of a tenure. Uh, And also, I believe succession is an occasion for an organization to do some inward thinking about who they are, what they want, um, because you have to really understand and anticipate what's ahead. And an organization is not built around a person but it is shaped by that person and it doesn't matter how you know what their management style is or what what their relationship is there's a lot of adapting that happens and so it's preparing the organization at a micro level too and and really anticipating some of the changes that have to happen with perhaps with staffing or perhaps with office culture Um, and then making sure that the person who's stepping into the role is okay, isn't walking into crisis, isn't walking into you need to raise $5 million, (laughs) the kind of problems, because then you don't have a chance to get your sea legs. And I think that that's really key. Um, And that's where the board comes in really handy is I imagine that a priority for a board is education, that a board might be a little less knowledgeable about an organization until they have to make a big transition. And so then they have to do a deep dive because they are holding the um, the knowledge base in a way that the previous um, uh, director has. That's a you're bringing up a really good point about the board because well everything in both of what you said there is a time period of this transition that's unusual. I mean the work keeps going, things keep happening, but the people change, and so there's a lot to factor in with the culture, with the people, with the board. Um, so I have many questions, but one that just came to mind is could you talk a little bit about advice for organizations or boards in terms of taking time for that special moment? Because I think everyone's busy, their plates are full, but you have to be very intentional about that transition and what have you experienced yourselves or seen work just in terms of that time taking by I guess board and staff and I'll I'll open it to either of you anyone who wants to jump in well I can talk a little bit about um, coming in and understanding the approach that the board um, took the board talked to everyone on the staff and really asked questions about what do you want what do you see um, is ahead for the organization what is the state of the organization right now because there's a certain level of storytelling that the board is in charge of with even just a set of candidates that they're talking to they have to have a really strong knowledge because they want to find find the right fit 
Um, and so, again, a little bit of that deep dive is really important. And I think the other thing that we all have to do at any given time is look at the moment, the historical moment, the cultural moment. What are people's expectations? So, for example, work from home has really shaped the way that people work and how they connect. And so uh, for a leader to step into a position, they might have to have facility with working with people who aren't physically in front of them, for example. Um, and there are new generations and their work style to be sure that if you have a lot of Gen Z folks in your on your staff, that there's someone who knows how to navigate those conversations. This is a really uh, rich question because there are so many things that I both heard about boards and board management before I entered my role as executive director. And there were some really tough lessons that I learned in my position as executive director as far as um, management and relationship with the board goes. So I think during a transition period, there is a significant need for board members to assess their understanding of the organization's financial health, organizational health in general, but also the kind of commitment or relationship that a board member might have to an incoming leader. An executive leader needs several kind of dimensions of support. So one of my reflections was perhaps my over-reliance on certain uh, board members or on other uh, people in my support network thinking that there was one person or one body that had the answers for what I needed or what I was looking for, the support I was looking for. But learning that um, a skill that you have to really sharpen in um, that position is learning who to ask for help, how to ask for help, and when to recognize that maybe there's a different person, resource, or strategy to get that support. So so that's one point I want to make about transition, but I also would like to make a larger point about a really disturbing kind of trend or pattern that we are seeing in the nonprofit sector around black women in nonprofit leadership. The Washington area uh, Women's Foundation just recently published, I think um, maybe within the last few months, a uh, report on uh, how the sector could support thriving leadership and um, kind of recognized in, at least in the DC metro area, but I think a lot of the findings are transferable, recognized the alarming trend of black women leaders kind of being extinguished in their positions uh, through burnout, through lack of support, through lack of funding. It's unacceptable in my opinion. And that 
yes, there's a board responsibility, but I also want to be able to talk more about kind of the individual responsibility that we have as leaders, as emerging leaders, aspiring leaders, or underrepresented leaders to do that work, to protect ourselves, to um, empower our, ourselves, and to prepare ourselves for what we're walking into. Because unfortunately, um, the research shows and the data shows that it can be uh, extremely fraught. You know, what you're talking about, unfortunately, is not just limited to the nonprofit sector. I mean, we've seen the headlines recently of black women leaders in um, academic institutions, either leaving, getting ill or worse yet, dying. And I think your point about, um, you know, how do we think about the process as leaders, as incoming leaders, as people who are leading to sort of take care of ourselves? And one of the early uh, comments you made about working with the board is kind of that understanding. So often until you are in the seat of the CEO, the ED or whatever, you don't have regular relationships with a board of directors in a nonprofit. So that's actually not a muscle that you can build in anticipate, like almost everything else about the job you can probably pick up somewhere. And so I'd love if if you either either or both of you would share any thoughts you have, like how 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 would you imagine a person could prepare themselves for that aspect of a job if they don't have access to it, you know, in, in the roles that they're working that lead them up to that opportunity? In anticipation of stepping into that, I come from an academic background and I drew from collaborative work and understanding that when you enter a room and there are folks with different skill sets that you want to find out what their skill sets are, what they love, what they're moved by. Uh, and also what they think about the organization and what they might bring. And so I met with every board member and had more or less the same conversation. I asked the same questions and just wrote notes and really formulated who can work together, who can help me with this part, who is going to give me context. And so I do have... Now my relationship with the board is if I have X question, then I call Uh. this person. If I have this problem, then I call X person which has been really, really helpful. But it's also, I think, a chance for the board to feel heard um, because there might there is a moment in which they have their hands around it because of that moment, and then it's like, oh, we're letting it go, and we don't know this person, right? I mean, we know this person, but not in the way that right. we knew this other person. And so I think it's also key for them to see that you are invested in the organization and really be communicated the enthusiasm and the commitment to the work that you do. Thanks. I want to pull on that thread because we we talk about the board like it's this collective mass of it's like this thing. It's the board. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the CEO, the ED, there's the staff. And I really appreciate what you said about um sort of talking to each person individually and understanding that like it's the board is a living organism Mm -hmm. made of individual entities that are the people and all people show up differently and um there's within the board you're you're inheriting power dynamics you're inheriting history you're inheriting like longevity with an organization um and interviewing or you know talking to each board member is probably a really great way to like start once you have the role um you know i wonder ruby in your reflection is if somebody came to you today and said you know i'm thinking about this opportunity i've I've got a job offer to be an ed i've never been one before like what should i be thinking about like is there anything you would add to that there is. I, I really appreciate that. I so appreciate this question <laughs> because 
I it has weighed heavy on me. It's weighed heavy on my mind and heart as I've thought many times about, you know, if I could rewind a year prior to stepping into the role, what would I have told that version of myself about what to prepare or how to think about the role? One of the things Carmen said that I want to uh, reinforce is I also went through a process of individual of individually meeting with board members, talking to them about their connection to the work, their skill set, what, you know, um, what or how I might uh, be able to connect with them as a resource. But one of the things that um, I think is also important in strengthening that board ED relationship is trust. And trust is something that takes time to build. It's just not transferable all the time. It's not a given. So I think there is something to be said for the time required to nurture trust between leaders and board members. And um, to whatever extent an organization can account for that time, can either you know maybe encourage or foster a leader to connect with the board before the appointment is made as executive director or even after you've taken the role, understanding that there might be a six month to a year long process of relationship building between the board and ED to really build that trust that's necessary to to lead effectively. But something else I would have gone back and told uh, Ruby of the past is to protect what I really needed to protect was my imagination and my vision. I shared both uh, in a feature that was published. There was a Meet Ruby feature um, that Pollen published about me uh, right before I took the position, and I named imagination as a core value of my leadership. Melanie mentioned it in my bio as well. And it's kind of, I, I think that term sometimes can feel a little like abstract or esoteric, like, okay, yes, we want to be imaginative. But I really understand imagination to be the ability to create new ideas, ways of thinking, um, and constructs as needed. And that is an ability and a muscle and a skill set that I don't think can be taken for granted. And I think especially for underrepresented leaders, there is, it's often a underappreciated gift of ours because of our position in the margins. There's a, there's a, essay by Bell Hooks titled um, Marginality as Resistance. And in the essay, Bell Hooks is describing how marginalized people, specifically Black people and Black women, have a specific way of seeing reality as a result of living both on the margins, but also living or working in the center. And as a result of that, uh, people on the margins, black women are skilled in working in that space of marginality as 
a space of imagination, as a space of resistance, as a space of refusals. If we stay in this space of thinking that thinking of that place as a site of deprivation, you know, I think we often talk about how hard it is, the struggle, the pain, the lack of resources, the deficit that exists, that puts our imagination at risk. And I do think that over time, what can happen is that your imagination becomes jaded or eroded or snuffed out, you know, as a result of trying to make it work with what we got. Wow. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there, but I, I appreciate you naming the, the deficit perspective that can sometimes happen in that space. And so I'd almost like to just entirely flip that. And, you know, as a new leader coming into a space, considering a new opportunity or being sort of right on the threshold of the door as you walk into a new opportunity, where are the like moments of joy in that? I think it is the process of discovery. Everything is new and you have a group of very enthusiastic folks who want to talk to you about what they do. And the more you probe and question, the more you get to know them and they feel heard and you you get a real investment in the people that you surround yourself with and who you work with and um, your different stakeholders. And the other piece of joy is that uh, there's always a new challenge and a new problem. And there, there is something about being nimble and constantly moving around and adapting. And it, it's not for everybody, but I, I take great joy in being challenged in, in lots of different ways through, you know, throughout any given day and, and looking to see who wants to collaborate with me on solutions and um, working with people and learning from people. Because I think that's the other interesting part of this job is that I'm learning new things every day alongside the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. And the more that I learn and open myself to learning, the better leader I can be. And also allowing myself to be wrong and to not know. Mm-hmm. There is something very liberating about that. I, you know, in moments when it, the, the job feels heavy, you can just say, I don't, I don't know. So what do you think? And to also to open that space, mm-hmm. there's, there's a joy in that because I think it's empowering and I think it's honest to just say, I don't know everything and I can't do everything. Um, and it, and you become part of the machine, but you're not like the only piece that works. Ruby, you mentioned at the beginning with succession planning, there's such an opportunity for storytelling and reflection. And I know both of you are in the, the business of narrative change. What is What can organizations do? What can individuals do? What can leaders do to support narrative change around what we're talking about today? I'm a little weary when it comes to... Um, the conversation or the discussion with what organizations can do. I'm just not sure, given that there has been, what I can say is that there is a lot of really great um, research and reporting coming out Mm -hmm. about this that has very actionable um, and uh, kind of well-vetted strategies. Mm -hmm. So one of the reports that um, I 
really uh, I felt very grateful for finding was titled Brilliant Transformations, published by the Ron Clark Sterling Foundation. And um, that report focuses on uh, how to transition BIPOC leaders into full and flourishing um, leadership. And I so appreciate that report for many different reasons, but one of them is the um, recommendations that are provided um, from the participants of that study around um, kind of changing the narrative around leadership transition. Great, we can yeah definitely look into that. I, I so appreciate. We're just going to keep doing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this conversation because it has opened the door um, to others continuing it because right. we could probably sit here for hours but what I'm imagining in my head is listeners are going to hear this and start their version mm-hmm. of this conversation with themselves with their friends over coffee in their boardrooms and so I want to thank both of you so much for helping us sort of put this in the space in a different way in a really sort of personal way in a non-academic way and Thank you for your leadership in communities, in the, all of the various communities that you are in. It's just been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Agreed. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Nadej, that was uh, really great to have two guests in studio with us. I mean, it was uh, it was fantastic. And also, you know, I think we always say, oh, we could have spent more yeah. time. But with two guests, I truly feel and that didn't way. didn't the time go fast? Like, boom, we're <laughs> it, done. It yes. absolutely so did. So there, there was a lot um, of really, really important information that we gathered from both of them. Yeah. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is... This is just really something everybody should be talking about, not in a like scary, ominous, like succession is happening kind of way. But like the reality is, and of course, I'm never going to remember where I found this, but um, Mm -hmm. less than 20 percent of nonprofits have a formal succession plan in place. Like right now, at so any that, given moment, that's 10 why nonprofits, we're about, right? Yes, you know, yes. only two of them uh-huh. maybe got a plan. Yep. Um, but once their leader says that they're leaving, then like 70% of the boards like put something together right away. Mm. And I wonder what the transitions would feel like if so many of the plans weren't happening sort of in the moment or right. in reaction. Yeah, it's responsive. It's not necessarily proactive. It's not necessarily intentional. And that might not be what everybody wants, but it's just a matter of necessity. We have to get a plan done and we have to get you know a new leader in. Right. And when you think about who that new leader is, the differences in generation, yes. the differences in background, somebody coming from out of town, like it just seems like intentional would be the yeah. better way, like proactively planning. Yes, and also we didn't talk about this, but there's also probably considerations for are you bringing someone from who's on staff versus someone who is doesn't even know the culture? There's right. so much to really grapple with around those questions. There, so, oh yeah, there's so much to unpack, and I just I hope maybe we have just added a We've little bit started. more to this yes. conversation. We just put and, a little chip in. And yeah. I know like we're going to share a bunch of stuff. Like there's so much to read here. Like, listen, y'all just Google yeah. like succession <laughs> planning nonprofits. You will find all the greatest hits. Yeah. So we can, we can all do it better. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You. You can find us on Facebook at I So Appreciate You Podcast and on Instagram at So Appreciate You. We'd also appreciate you taking a moment to write us a review. And if you like our show, be sure to follow I So Appreciate You on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Have a question or topic suggestion? 
email us at podcast at spmcf.org. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You.